That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Take Two. And because Greg Hughes has ditched us to run for election, <laughs> we have a seat we get to fill with exciting conservative Republicans in the great state of Utah. And joining us today is Candace Perucci. Am I saying it right? Because every time I say it, I'm like, just say it fast and hope it's correct. <laughs> great job. Excellent. And Mara Carabello's here. So we have just ladies hour today. I know. So, it's going to be good. Thanks for being here. So, Candace, for people who don't know a lot about you, because you're still new-ish, Tell us a few fun facts about yourself we should know. Well, I represent House District 49, which is the Harriman and Riverton area. I won a special election in 2019. And so I've been in for a bit, got in time just in time for COVID, <coughs> which has been exciting since then. Uh, so I grew up in my district, actually, went to Harriman Elementary. And uh, my family, we love that area. So that's why my husband and I decided to raise our family there. I've got a little boy who's four and a little girl on the way. And uh, when I am not up at the Capitol and I'm working on that uh, policy making, uh, I'm an adjunct professor down at UVU. And uh, I love Disneyland and traveling, so we like to take lots of trips as a family. All right, so between the Capitol and UVU, you put the miles on your car. Definitely, yeah. Excellent. And people who don't know who the Ixoro Group and Mara is, aside from the fact that they love you and listen to you every week, <laughs> what should they know about Mara Carabello? You don't? Wait, can I hear you properly? We're having mic problems in here. Now I, okay, now that's me. Now I can hear me. Okay, Mara's here. Sorry, guys. So, uh, Ixoro's been around for almost 21 years. That's not a fun fact. That's astonishing because I haven't felt very deliberate about Ixoro. So now I'm like, what just happened? You are a boss woman. So, when was the 20th anniversary? Well, we didn't celebrate it very well, so there's a chance I'm going to pretend it hasn't happened yet. Okay. But it was a couple of years ago. But as you know, everybody likes to celebrate the 22nd anniversary. Yeah. I think that's always a really big deal. The 20th is overdone. Yeah. But so uh, 2002 is when we started Ixoro. And it was a rare, like, we were a bipartisan firm, and nobody understood that, and they were all super suspicious of, like, who are you? And we're not really lobbyists and we're not, but we wanted to stay in the public space. And so, you know, I think now I hope we're in a good public policy kind of practical space. So it's been over 20 years though. That's, That's what's awesome. crazy. I know. Yeah. You're kind of like the Hannah Waddingham of Exoro Group. Okay, You're the so boss, babe. You don't know that? You don't watch Ted Lasso? Rest? Yeah. Oh, is that her name? Super fashionable <laughs> and super awesome. Is that I'm her name? Really I may be making this up. I didn't I'm know really who bad was at names, <laughs> but I do love Ted Lasso. I shouldn't admit that I know these things or even that I like the show because my mom, I was, t- this is random, but my brother the other day was like, hey, our other sister told mom or ask mom something about what she's watching. And she's like, well, Heidi loves Ted Lasso, so I'm going to start watching it. And if you know my mom, she's 72. She is like very conservative in all things, just life. Not, I'm not mm-hmm. talking Republican, Democrat, but like when we were growing up, the only way you could ever watch TV, it was like PBS or maybe the news. And as if you were like folding laundry or ironing yeah. or accomplishing something at the same time, she didn't watch frivolous things. She doesn't like naughty words. Um, and I'm like, Ooh. 
And that's I'm when like, you don't notice it when you're watching it, and then you picture either your kids or your parents, and you're like, oh, there's a lot of F-words. There are a lot of F-words in there. And I noticed because I've been watching it with my teenage son, so I, I'm sorry I watched this, and I need to talk it's to my mom about good, not watching it. It's kind of good. I know. It's the most feel-good good show with... Some wankers and F-words in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's British, so it's okay, right? Yeah. Like, you know, they can say those horrible words. And you're like, yeah. isn't, isn't that quaint? All right. Well, you're still my Hannah Waddingham. Anyone well, who watches you. Ted Lasso Thanks. knows. Okay, so uh, I keep coming in here on Fridays and thinking that we're going to have the Supreme Court ruling coming in on student loans because we know that someone's going to be disappointed and there's going to be stuff to talk about, but they keep not ruling on it. I don't know if it's their big drop this year and they want to wait until they're done and just say, this is the last thing, shut the doors and like run home, but it's not there. Uh, Candace, you were saying though, you think a couple of the decisions or at least one of them that came out today might be a signal towards what's going to happen. And that was just, I was just reading a Forbes article because I've been waiting to see if this decision comes out, but they felt like the case that dealt specifically with immigration may have been signaling uh, where the court's going to be at and that they wouldn't be in favor of uh, President Biden's uh, loan forgiveness plan. I know um, the big question with this is, can a U.S. president even do this? With what authority is he coming at this to be able to say, we're going to forgive ten dollars or $20,000 of your student loans? And I know the hook they're trying to use is the 2003 HEROES Act that gave the Secretary of Education some ability to adjust how uh, loan payments worked. Uh, but the court's going to be looking at if Congress in 2003 really intended for it to go this far and uh, whether this is something that a president has the ability to do. So hopefully we see it come out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the immigration ruling was interesting. One, because it was an eight-to-one ruling. And I like to see this court... You like consensus. Well, I like that this court has had two or three Mm five-to-fours, but now they have an eight-to-one, which indicates where I think we need to continue to be with the Supreme Court, which is they're not a partisan organization. Now, again, they have judicial approaches that somewhat may predict what they're going to do, but um, they're looking at precedents. In this instance, it was interesting because they did rule with the Biden administration, Mm -hmm. and they said that Texas and Louisiana particularly didn't have standing on the issue, and that Congress, in fact, could remedy themselves. So why is the federal, the federal government is not at harm here. They could remedy themselves. So it was interesting, but I like to see the eight to one. And then the other boring but may affect Utah decision was um, the Navajo Nation had taken their uh, prescriptive right to the Colorado River uh, to the Supreme Court, in which, in this instance, they ruled somewhat against the nation as part of that ruling, and it was a close ruling. Gorsuch, who um, is a justice from Colorado, Mm -hmm. uh, vehemently defended sort of the nation in the minority opinion. But why we may care about it is, um, in the majority opinion, they sort of alluded to this notion that uh, if the Navajos wanted to litigate their share, they could. Um, Prior, they've been discouraged. So why do we care? Well, if the Navajos assert litigation, then Utah is part of that who gets what share. And as we all know, since um, the drought from a couple of years ago, the question of who gets what share of the Colorado is a big deal. So this will come back to Utah in the form of a Colorado River negotiation. And it's interesting in light of the case we were talking about last week where with um, Navajo adoptions, they wanted to put the right back on Navajo families first. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of interesting watching and I'm trying to think, are there any other big cases other than student loans at this point, or is that all we're expecting? I know they have one day on the calendar next week, so. Oh, no, see, they have others, and now I can't, of course, yeah. remember them. No. The thing with the Supreme Court is all of them are significant. 
It's just like <laughs> which ones are interesting. Who their significant <laughs> yeah, who their significant <laughs> and the number of yeah. people it impacts. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So okay, so well, we will wait another week or two and see exactly what happens there. Here in Utah, all the excitement is around the fervor of this CD2 race, which is happening at a super fast pace. Because I think everyone's like, well, it's three months away, but we all know it's not really three months away. Did either of you watch either debate? If I'm outing myself, I, I tried. I got, a, I got a little bored. It was a they lot. They had a hard time with streaming. I know they yeah. had to switch platforms, and they split it because there's 13 candidates. They had two debates. So I was following on Twitter, like the okay. That was the smart way to generally follow. Yeah, yeah. It was long, and Mm -hmm. it started late too. And to everyone's credit, most of them are sort of centrist, true Republicans. So there's not a ton of definition between sort of what you'd express as your. But you are choosing personality, and you're choosing. Uh, an approach and a communication style. I mean, all of what they're expressing. The other thing that happened this week that I don't think generally matters, the more general the election gets, the less I think endorsements matter. But for sort of inside baseball stuff, where people, where um, party activists and delegates know each other really well, endorsements may be more persuasive because they all, they kind of know the endorser sometimes very personally. Which might differentiate someone, yeah. So it makes a bigger deal. And we saw several high profile endorsements in the last couple of days. And so it's like. Chris Stewart was this week too, um, endorsing his. Celeste Malloy. Yeah. And I don't think that she's probably a name brand that a lot of people know. So that probably makes a difference to people saying, okay, well, this was his seat and she's running. Will it make she's a difference? She's really well known. In, so I used to work for Congressman okay. Stewart and she is, she's worked for the congressman, obviously. Um, she is really well known in the rural communities and mm. in Southern Utah. Uh, she's been a fierce fighter um, on public lands and is incredibly brilliant. But I think to your point, it was a big deal that Congressman Stewart, one, endorsed someone and that he had endorsed Celeste. I think that uh, I also saw John Dougal endorse Jordan Hess right. as the other endorsement I'd seen. I heard this week. someone mentioned that he was endorsed, and I couldn't yeah. figure out who was saying it. And so. Jordan Hess is another interesting figure in which yeah. I doubt the average Republican voter may know him, but the delegates know him well he's because he's been a party, party leader mm-hmm. for a while. So, um, you know, and it's in Delta, Utah. And yeah. who, who doesn't love Delta? And they did a good job doing it in the middle. But They're it trying does, to split the difference, but it's like, who's going it's to It's a couple of hours from tip to toe. So, like, if you lived at the top of the district, it's probably two and a half, three hours to Delta. And if it's you lived in St. George, yeah. it's probably three hours to Delta. So who shows up? I think they're going to have high turnout because of the concentration of effort by candidates to get people there and what's on the line. I mean, to be able to vote in this kind of environment when a congressman has resigned. I am hoping attendance is higher than people are expecting. Um, And I do think, to go back on endorsements, I think that when it's in such a consolidated time frame, endorsements do matter more because you're now relying on someone you trust and their judgment when they're making an endorsement. Whereas if when you have like a full year when Mm -hmm. you're running, I think people forget those. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. so I don't know. I we'll have to see how that how that plays into it. I do think that there are obviously a lot of candidates, but for the delegates, they're going to be looking at who also registered to get signatures, which I think will have a huge impact. And in my mind, it's down to Celeste, Jordan, and Greg. 
mm-hmm. just from what I've heard uh, coming out of tomorrow, out of the conven- out of the delegates. And as we election. said last week, I think, Kenneth, you were saying this earlier. Remember, convention, the, the parties decided to only have one person come out yeah. of the convention. So that'll be interesting. The other thing I think I will say they did really well, particularly even for seasoned delegates, they have been broadcasting so clearly, like, guys, we are not messing around. There is no party business. You show up, you start to vote. And if you are a seasoned delegate, <laughs> you still know the length of time that around. could be committed to party work. And they have been so clear that this is a special election. There will be no party work. We will show up and we will start voting. And mm-hmm. I think that actually is a really enticing It should increase thing. turnout. Right, I think exactly. if they did that every time, you would increase turnout. <laughs> yeah, it's, because it's I a long day. convention, it was three or four hours before we actually got to the agenda. It yeah. Was, and by then, your <laughs> spouse is calling, and the family thing you thought you could yeah. get to is yeah. now a half an hour away. And, like, you, you can't. Yeah. Like, right. And so I do think they've been really smart to telecast, hey, listen, we're not messing around. We'll start voting when you show up, and we will keep voting until we're And they have away. to vote only till they get to 50%, right? That's their... No. So that's what's interesting. And we, when we passed this, the party was willing to go with this process of just one candidate who... You, know, you have to get the threshold. So you need 60 out. or? No, we're, they're not even holding them to 60%. It, it will be the highest vote getter Just the highest at the vote end getter. of the round. Yeah. Okay. But and I do think with that many candidates, you're going to go through multiple rounds, right? For sure. So You've and got they'll to. drop off a couple. They're, they've been a little nondescript about how many. I think there might even be maybe in the early rounds a threshold that they announce. Mm-hmm. And to get through a few rounds quickly. And then what becomes super fun to watch. So if members of the press are there. What's fun to watch is if you're in position three or four, you've got some leverage because now you have enough people that you could be the kingmaker, right? You could be the one that puts someone else over the top. And so if you like inside baseball, these multi-candidate conventions are pretty interesting to watch. And you're working with other candidates want to maintain a friend like a friendly relationship, right? Because at some point you're going to be asking them for their endorsement. And so so campaigns that get nasty in a hurry, I'm like, you're not going to give pick up their support in that third, fourth, fifth round of, of voting. So and there's always another race that comes around before you know it or a surprise, something like this, yeah. which is interesting. I don't think we can count on Remy Cush getting any votes because I understand that he didn't show up to the debates. Yeah. And then is also he getting signatures, get signatures, which is a lot of work if you're not going to show up to the debates. Yeah, that was surprising. I think it's Becky Edwards, Bruce Huff. Yep. I'm trying to remember. Scott Hatfield. Scott. Yes. Scott Reber and then Remy who are doing um, the signature. So it'll be interesting to see. And also on the United Utah party side, January Walker is uh, collecting signatures too. So, um, the interesting thing is the three people you named when we're talking about it, those, you know, are going to be the top vote getters probably tomorrow, but it'll be interesting to see. I was half listening to the debate while doing other things last night because, like you said, it got so long. But I remember one of them who got up and he was saying something about delegates, please answer my calls. And delegates are probably inundated <laughs> right now, too, when you think about the fact that there's 13 candidates calling you. And you're like, I only have so many hours in a day. I still have a job. So I know they all have their work cut out for them before tomorrow to make sure that they get their word in edgewise, which Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. Which is where I think endorsements, again, there's less amount of time, fewer events for delegates to interact with them. Mm -hmm. And I think, to your point, Jordan, has he has been elected as the vice chair of the party before. Greg Hughes is well known as the 
former speaker and then a gubernatorial candidate. Uh, and then Celeste, I think, just Congressman Stort's endorsement. We'll see how much that carries. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think we did see Becky Edwards has run before, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I, I think she's definitely much more moderate and certainly much more moderate than delegates. And so... Um, it's interesting to me she did signatures and the delegate yeah. route. And again, it was interesting that she switched. She initially she filed. Did. She added that. And it, I don't know if that, like, that was a little bit of weird where you're like, oh, Becky, you kind of yeah. admitted that you maybe did this the wrong way. So what did she do? I missed so out she on filed, you, When you file, you have to just Declared. tell the elections yeah. office what you're doing. Yeah. And um, she filed for signatures and no convention. Oh. And then she came back and she was like, oh, whoops. Her yeah. filing. And I think it's probably 7,000 signatures is hard to get mm -hmm. in like a consolidated yeah. period of time. And I don't know if it was like a Hail Mary where like at least then you're yeah. in the competition. But I do think people who got the signatures and are doing the convention route, I'm always a little perplexed because generally speaking. It's a black it's, mark on and, your and convention. And people can overcome though. it. Senator For Lee sure. collects signatures, right? Yeah. But most delegates, it it's rubs them the wrong Well, way. and particularly incumbents, I think, can do both. Right. I, I think there, I don't know why, but there's something about like an incumbent just saying, hey, listen, I'm just I'm doing the whole my process. This is policy. like, this is like the epitome of grassroots mm -hmm. informed politic and I don't think you have the luxury of not it's a big indication of where your fealty lies and, your trust, <laughs> and, yeah. and I think you could get away with it if you were an incumbent in a regular election because as you know most of our elected republic many of our elected republican get signatures. get signatures and we don't think twice about it this I, I felt like was an indication, a flag that they were saying, okay, I'm, I'm, it's I'm like signaling. you're cheating on them. You've got a side chick or a little something. bit. You got a, a side. Bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and incumbents who do it well say, I'm doing this to drive people to caucus, mm -hmm. right? Like you go out and collect signatures and tell them about caucus night mm -hmm. and that, that messaging can work. But yeah, I was really surprised to see that. So are you going to be there on Saturday? I will not. I tomorrow morning have a parade in Harriman that I am in. I've got nice. So Fun. I'm in the local one and I'm not a delegate in CD2, but I will be following it closely. <laughs> Yeah, Same. I'm, I don't know who we're sending yet from Channel 2, but we'll be down there. But I'm like, well, I need to go do something. Road that's, trip yeah. Delta. Yeah, I know. Do they, do they have a splash pad down there or anything fun, you know? So I don't see that happening. Hey, and before we move on from this, I just want to mention, I don't think I've heard from Chris Stewart since his official announcement, but he was on one of our newscasts um, with Brian Schnee uh, yesterday and finally talked about a little bit about his wife and how she had the stroke a year ago and really wanting to be home with his family, which I think... Anyone who's in political circles kind of knows that's been going on, but it was maybe the first time that he'd talked about it publicly. So um, it was interesting to hear him say that and saying that he's accepting the curveballs of life. So yeah. wishing him and his family the best as this process plays on. And I think, if I can just add, yeah. as someone who had worked for Congressman Stewart, I have a great deal of respect for him. He's incredibly down to earth. Well, always there's a story where they needed to fix a light bulb, and they came and he was on his desk, and they're like, Congressman, what are you doing? And like, I'm fixing a light bulb. Like, you don't do that, get down. And he was one of the hardest working people you know, but he is so family oriented. And so someone had texted me after the story came out, and they're like, so what's the real story? I'm like, that's the story. His wife had a stroke. Back off. Like, he's trying to take care of his family, and I think it's commendable that he's prioritizing that because it's a big sacrifice, and that's a big announcement to make to resign, right, yeah. and to not be able to finish your term. So best wishes to him and his wife, and I hope she has a quick recovery. I think it says something to the world we live in where you assume that if someone's resigning, they're doing it quick because there's this awful scandal that you're trying mm -hmm. to sidestep away from, which 
doesn't work because there's the internet now. So <laughs> it's a weird world we live in. And speaking of a weird world, we keep talking about this, but it's every other week it's back and forth. But officially, as of this week, you can get check out a Bible if you go to a Davis County school, which I know as soon as school's <laughs> back in, kids are going to rush to the library and read that Bible. But it is back in. You guys were talking about it while you were in session. And is this a lot of ado about nothing where somebody's trying to... I don't know, push someone else's buttons because they're pushing yours or what's going on here? So I think it's part of a bigger discussion. We, I'm the chair of the House Education Committee and we had an interim committee meeting just on curriculum transparency, parent engagement, and discussing sensitive materials in the classroom. That's where this decision, the initial decision, um, the Davis uh, committee that was compiled by the district who reviewed the Bible said it, it violated that. But if you look at the actual law on sensitive materials, that's not what they were um, correlating it to. It was a, a policy within the district. And then the Davis School Board took a vote and overturned it. So it worked through the process. I think this is part of a bigger discussion that we'll continue to have. Uh, I do think, there. if you look, they had over 60 books challenged. Um, the Bible is just one of them, right, being highlighted. But uh, hopefully people see that it worked through the process. And we're working on, uh, this is something Representative Ivory has championed over the years. And our committee is, you know, working with him and others and looking at, is there any uh, clarity that needs to be made in the law so that we don't have confusion on what the Utah code is at the very least when districts are interpreting it? I, I am going to launch some criticism against the legislature in that I think that they, again, um, fell to the temptation of playing an oversized role. Davis County was going through the process, continued with the criticism of withdrawing the Bible. They continued to say, hey, we're not done with our process. Give us a second. And while it wasn't, I'm using the legislator as though they're one person. They're not. So I, I mean to add some texture to it. But we had several legislators who used their bully pulpit, which is their prerogative. But I wish they would respect and let local processes play out before they start being a part of that conversation because at our best, um, the legislators sort of protect or guard in some ways or, or, or sort of support the federal process. They also really govern the local process, but I think they do it best when they provide a little space to the local processes. And I felt like particularly on the cultural war part of this discussion. I think part of this discussion has some education policy and part of it has some cultural war policy or, or, or dog whistling there. And I thought they jumped in really fast and didn't show enough respect to Davis County and letting them have their local conversation the way they wanted to have it. So, and of course, I'm going to push back yeah. a little bit, but yeah. we, there was uh, the administrative okay. roles held committee. That's right. No, no, no. I, and, and we in the committee had already established before the Bible, initial Bible decision was made that we were going to be talking about curriculum transparency. Right. So uh, had, I would say jumping the gun would have been in our special session, throwing in a bill that mm -hmm. would have overturned their decision, but we didn't do that. And we said, no, you ha they're mid-process, right? And, and uh, their superintendent and board members were saying, we're still working through this. We're seeing what kinks we have in the process. I'll tell you, uh, I know a lot of people don't listen to our interim hearings, uh, but we had five school districts come talk about their implementation process and what they've done as they've reviewed the sensitive materials law that we passed. And it was fascinating to see how everyone's was just a little bit different. And then at the end, some of them were saying, we're probably gonna do what they're doing, or we're gonna implement this differently. So I think had we jumped in to, you know, in the middle of the process, run something, 
But we were going in and looking at what was being used in this case to get the Bible out and reviewing what that law actually said, which it's talking about material that's pornographic, right? And there's this bright line in code that we were discussing. Um, so I would say we did let the process weigh out. You're always going to have people who comment on how someone else's process is going. Um, but Davis, they did say when they came before our committee, you know, we're, we're working on this actively, and then we're going to be reviewing the current policy and process we have in place. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what that looks like, and then what next session, um, if that brings any legislation. Yeah. And I'd like to see none. I, I think that I think we have a moment where our legislature is too prone to overreach into public spaces. And I mean, from someone who isn't coming from the place that's applauding this book banning and is rather saying, I think I trust our teachers more actually than petitioning parents, um, which is not a widely held point of view, I understand, with the Republican caucus and and, and, and that, that voice will win the day I understand that part. But again, I would like to see some more restraint from our legislative leaders and more of a propensity to hold accountable, but also give voice to the local yeah. electeds. Well, One thing, that voice that I haven't heard, and I don't know if you've heard him in the meetings, but I was talking to a librarian last week, and I had a party at my house, and she happened to be one of the random guests. And she had an interesting insight into how books are procured and brought into libraries and who reads them and chooses them. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting because you don't really think about it. But mm -hmm. there's one person probably at each school or right. the libraries or whatever, if you're talking about county teams that are kind of picking off of lists or some of them are good about reading them all themselves. So it's kind of an interesting process of how it works and how the books even end up in libraries. And that came up in our discussion as well, yeah. as other districts have said, we're now trying to be proactive on the front end because you can allow people to petition yeah. to remove a book all you want, but if you don't shut off the flow of, in this case, you know, pornographic material coming in, then you're constantly going to be playing catch up. And, and I do want to make it clear, we had teachers come in, we've had librarians come in, and when we when we put up on the board, because it's so, it makes people blush to actually read what the law, the definition of criminal porn, right, is, um, it's pretty dang clear, um, and that's why they call it the bright line rule. Uh, we're not talking about controversial topics. What the sensitive materials law that was passed is talking about things that are defined as porn, and so there's that conversation, uh, and that's what we were highlighting in our committee discussion, uh, and I, I think most people, and even the teachers we had there when we had that, the teacher said, no, I would absolutely not want that in my classroom. And um, <clears throat> when, so when people reference, like, To Kill a Mockingbird or Fahrenheit 451, no one is trying to ban those books. At least in the conversations I've had and as we've worked on these policies, no one's trying to pull those books off the shelves, and that's not what our law does. I think there's a lot of misinformation about, about the law, um, and we, you know, in terms of how we message that, but need to make it clear what a sensitive material is. So The Grapes of Wrath stays. I always hated the ending of that book. Yeah. You read it in junior <laughs> high, and you're like, what? what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... it's the bright line rule is straight up porn, and um, there are a lot of concerns with having that, obviously, in a, a K through 12 setting and what's age appropriate for students. All right. We'll let you disagree on this topic, but here's an interesting place of agreement that's going on. Bear's ears seems to me that the bear always has two ears with very different sides of view and different people want different things. But there's a land swap going on that's backed by uh, tribes, it's backed by governments, it's backed by just about everyone. There seems to be an odd amount of agreement so there's going to be a swapping going on where Utah gets some land, and uh, there's something for everyone. So who truly understands this and what's going to happen? Mara, Candace, who knows what's happening here? 
We just took a vote on this uh, in our last session. Uh, it's HR 3049 is the resolution, but essentially we okayed this land swap. Yeah. And why it matters is when Bears Ears was established, and we can agree to disagree or, uh, you know, whatever you want on how we name national monuments and how that happens. But when they did that, it locked up 160 thousand plus acres of Utah land within that and we have in, uh, obviously with Utah we have CITLA Utah School Institutional Trust Lands Administration and um, they worked uh, with our congressional delegation to get to a place where we could swap land that was locked up within there and other places in the state uh, that will bring millions of dollars into our public education system so I do think this is it you know we're taking what was not a great situation and trying to make the best out of it uh, but yeah, we did take a vote of support in the, the legislature recently. So what I think is interesting about this issue, and I want to call out Representative John Curtis, mm -hmm. because the devil is in the details here. Like You're right, there was consensus, there wasn't a partisan fight necessarily about the land swap, Yeah. but when you're moving that many individual parcels, suddenly there's complexity. Mm -hmm. And so you have to give credit to Curtis's office for leading this really complex set of contractual relationships. And partly because there was a Republican will in this, some of, um, there was an argument to be made that some of the state land that was within now the new, the protected boundaries, mm -hmm. what you were losing in addition to access, you were losing access to, um, to uh, using natural resources, mm -hmm. to extracting natural resources. So not only did the state of Utah sort of want an equivalent parcel someplace else, they wanted a similar production of that parcel. The value of yeah. it, yeah. And so the, sense. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like, I need, you have 10 acres, I want 10 acres. It was more like, here's, not all of it has extraction, but some of it did. And then you also had an equity issue in which the, the, um, county in which it was coming from in the proximate counties if you had just you know given it all to northern utah they would be like what mm -hmm. we had we only have so much land and you gave away ours because there is a relationship between the local school districts and the benefit that they have so while you had this high level consensus you we should not minimize right. how many like i can't remember it was i think it's like 10 different counties have dozens of individual parcels yeah. that had to be identified uh, decided who is going, yeah, assessed, decided the use, decided the value, and to bring it to that point was pretty remarkable. And then John Curtis was able to explain a unique Western situation yeah. to Congress and say, we have consensus, we want to do this. And the net impact of this will be for those of us who like Bears Ears and appreciate the protections, it's a rare moment where people can applaud that and those who want to support CITLA and support um, and keep healthy the extraction industries, they got a win too. Like it, this was a really well done settlement. Yeah, and there were some rural counties in Utah um, because this isn't something that my brain's usually thinking about, but my um, mother-in-law, um, who passed a couple of years ago, lived in Monticello, and so we were dealing with some property down there when mm. um, Bears Ears, kind of everything stuck, and there were some people, you know, a lot of people who'd kind of moved into the area getting ready for extraction or whatnot, and then all of a sudden those jobs or possibilities of jobs disappeared, and then people were like, okay, well, who's going to be in our schools next year, and can we sell these homes and stuff? So that kind of uncertainty, I think, is stressful for communities, and yeah. I guess having answers and knowing and 
All the money and the yo-yo yeah. effect it creates from an administration to administration yeah. on increasing, decreasing, increasing, decreasing. And, and you know, we can say, I would say we were not a fan of having the Bears Ears Monument designated. Um, but this is taking a bad situation and trying to make it better. And that's where I think Representative Curtis uh, does a good job at saying, like, I get that we're upset. But what can we do to fix a piece of this? And, yeah. th and that's where I think it's really helpful for CITLA especially. All right. Congratulations to um, Congressman Curtis' office because it does sound very complicated, and there were a lot of people who had to agree and get on the same page for that. So uh, good stuff there. One thing that I don't think anyone's on the same page with, uh, the U.S. <laughs> House voted to send articles of impeachment against President Biden uh, to the Judiciary and Homeland Security Committees, which is sort of a sideways way of voting about this. I think it was kind of um, Boebert who brought it up yesterday. But interestingly enough, all four of our Utah congressional leaders voted that it actually would go to those committees and be heard. So uh, that's happening. I don't know if there's actually any presidents who haven't had articles of impeachment in recent decades filed against them. So here I we feel are. like it's a requirement now. Yeah. To <laughs> impeach the opposite a body. Massive hammer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And yeah, so it's, it's a super bummer, too, because it, you don't gasp anymore like when i i feel like 20 years ago i was like <gasps> we're now i'm like, like oh any With given Clinton, tuesday yeah, that was right and you knew minute by minute everything and now we're like oh i will say what our listeners already know is this is step one of many and i think you will find um even republicans starting to differentiate and weigh in on this issue so both sides are equally culpable for well, you did that to me well, last week, and yeah. oh, you did that to me two weeks ago. So they both have troubles there. But um, I think as you see this process unfurl, I, I think who, who will shine as statesmen, I believe, will be the Republicans, actually, in the, on this issue. It'll be interesting to see, because we were talking about Clinton, and as soon as you said that, my brain was thinking, it depends on what the definition of is. 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 <laughs> you know, you, there's like lines that stick out to you, you know, that you remember forever from these things, and I think the rest of the world probably watches us and is thinking, get it together, guys. I teach American government, and when we talked about the U.S. presidency and impeachment, I said, I know you hear this word a lot, but this is actually the nuclear bomb. Like, this is a big deal, and... Um, and, and with that, I mean, it was down party lines, the vote, and they, it was on to send it to a committee, yes. right? It was largely driven by Representative Bobera and Marjorie Green Taylor, I believe. Uh, so a committee can sit on a bill indefinitely. Indefinitely, yeah. Um, anyways, now that's not to say that there are unfounded uh, frustrations at the border, and that's what they were building this based off of. Uh, but yeah, I do think we'll, we'll have to see what happens or doesn't happen uh, in terms of the support to push this any further. Yeah. And the interesting thing is um, the federal focus in the last few weeks, everyone's been watching um, former President Trump in court and what's going to happen there, mm -hmm. and is that fair? And should Biden be um, looked at in charge in those same ways? Should Clinton in the past retrospect the same? And now we're moving forward to another case that's got everyone up in arms, and that's the Hunter Biden plea deal that came out this week. It's a deal where prosecutors announced um, that Hunter will be pleading guilty to two tax misdemeanors. Um, we're learning out of some congressional hearings coming out that there was a possibility of uh, maybe more felonies, up to 11 charges uh, that were not filed. And so that brings up the question of, is there a two-tier justice system, Mara? Are we treating him differently because he's Hunter Biden or name, let's say, Donald Trump's kids or whoever you want to be mad about? Would they be tried differently than someone who would have those same problems with taxes, same problems with guns, and they would probably spend a couple of years in prison for it. 
Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, yes, we're absolutely treating Hunter Biden and Trump differently. We're treating all wealthy, entitled Americans. The justice system disproportionately likes wealth because wealth can defend itself and they have means. So let's first give a shout out to average Americans and minorities who are not treated fairly under the justice system. But having said that, are, are Hunter Biden and and Trump both the cause of their problems? <laughs> For sure. And, um, and I don't think, um, and is there a political motivation in both cases? For sure. Uh, but did they do it for sure? I mean, or, you know, we don't know what it yeah. is, but they they have played with the line. So um, I, what I would argue, though, is when we say are we treating them differently, I would not suggest they're being treated poorly. I would suggest that the heat is on them because of their actions and because of their profile and because their title. I will differentiate that if you are a president in the United States, I hope you're ho- held to a hire. I, I expect that of you. It's, it, it's a position of trust. And um, Hunter Biden's uh, sentencing was actually in par with most of these sentences. Um, I do think what what's being conflated a little bit is his issues that he has around his laptop are yet to come. And those are more serious. And they have higher consequences. This was a, a tax evasion. I mean, these were sort of pretty delineated um and and he was given sort of an average an average and i and i think it's worth noting though i i i don't want to keep conflating hunter biden and trump because i actually think they both deserve their own path of judgment there but i will say the case against trump is not about having top security items in your home it's about evasion and obstruction Right. It's it's not that. So what he shares in common with Mike Pence and Biden and Hillary is this like, hey, y'all, are you paying any attention? The differentiation is how they responded and who initiated that, not whether they had documents. Yeah, or I don't not. know if anyone asked for Hillary's back, but I think there may yeah, have been no. a hammer involved there where she smashed some stuff up. So a different kind of bad. But right. Yeah. I feel like Hunter Biden's getting a slap on the wrist for something that if an average American citizen had evaded taxes for multiple years consecutively, hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, was in possession of a firearm when they shouldn't have been, I do feel like he's getting off pretty clean. Uh, And, you know, when you do a comparison, I know now they have, like, the celebrity rap sheets where they go through. (laughs) Jail time is actually not uncommon for that level of tax evasion and coupled with the other things that he's being charged with. I know he did took a plea deal on this, but my, I mean, and so, yeah, that's a huge issue. But I also think what is incredibly damaging is when everyday Americans see that, it erodes even more trust in our institutions and our justice system because they see themselves and say, there's no way, one, I could pay an attorney to get me that kind of sweetheart deal and two, that I would be treated that way in a court. So I think uh, that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. I listen to uh, C-SPAN, I'm one of those people, and I love it because they do a Democrat and a Republican, and you hear both sides. But I was really surprised when they surprised when they made this announcement, <clears throat> and right after President Biden said, when that, he was asked about it, he said, I'm very proud of my son. 
And I felt like that probably could have been nuanced a little better. The, it's one thing as a parent to be de, you know, defensive of your child, but to say like, yeah, my kids made mistakes and we're moving forward. Probably would have been a better statement. But like just buckling down on, I'm very proud of my kid and it just comes off even more tone deaf uh, when you're looking at this situation. Uh, but to the point made, the House Oversight Committee is gonna continue doing what they're doing. Uh, House Republicans are gonna continue their investigations. And I think that's where you'll have even more damning findings come forward and we'll see what happens with that a couple points i would i would sort of very much disagree on is that um that's a little out of context the question to the bidens was asked to comment about his sentencing right and they said essentially no we're taking a pass on that and the only thing we're going to say about our kids is that we're proud of them so the context of knowing he said i am not speaking to that he didn't say it his press secretary had said that a response he came and Right. Yeah. But I, I think cuff. in fairness, we knew what he he was saying. I am not speaking to that. Mm -hmm. I So I, I think that's a little unfair treatment. The other thing is statistically, actually, Hunter Biden is being held more in account. It is less likely for us. There are, um, a, you know, really a high, you know, there's about 11% of Americans who aren't paying their taxes. And it is incredibly rare that anyone will ever be held accountable for that. And the lost revenue. I mean, remember, we had this under a Trump administration where rightly so he was saying, let's go after lost revenue from tax evaders. They're not, they're not this rich and this bougie about it. I mean, I think there's a total indictment of Hunter Biden's approach to the world and lifestyle that I, I would join the chorus that says, geez, this guy doesn't seem to have much personal accountability. Together, yeah. So I'm not defending him, but statistically, he actually is 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 in a rare group of people that is being held accountable for a misdemeanor crime. I'm I'm not excusing that behavior, but this notion that he's getting off, I don't think, is actually backed by the statistics of the IRS. Speaking of Hunter, random thing, but last night I noticed, and tell me what you think about this. So obviously he's facing other issues with um, his laptop or Burisma or questions about mm -hmm. whether he had undue influence with other gov uh, governments or businesses because of his dad. I can see if you're a dad and you're proud of your kid that you would have him over for Sunday dinner, which would be awesome at the White House. <laughs> it's like cool party at the White House on Sunday nights. But I thought it was interesting that he was invited to the state dinner because it's sort of a statement, too, that yeah. he still belongs in those circles where you have all these powerful, rich, influential people um, around that belong to other governments and businesses. And so I was like, oh, that's an interesting decision. Not to jump sides, but this is to Candace's point where you do say to the Bidens, Okay, fine. Love your kids. But is this the right? Come and on. the other thing is he's a grown-up, right? He's yeah. 52 years old or yeah. however yeah. old he is. It's, it's not, not like, like it's you're 11-year-old where you're exactly. like. Yeah. The Obamas <laughs> or the Clintons who actually had children yeah. in the White House. So my kid man. had a party. I'm sorry. Yeah. She's, you know, whatever. So you do wonder. You, you can say, hey, hon, you're not going to be coming to the White House for a while yeah. because you are just yeah. all sorts of bad news for us right yeah. now. And then just to add a totally non-relevant fact, but for some reason I thought it was hilarious to, re to walk down memory lane. Um, what, someone had pulled the list of other like really bad relatives of um, uh, of presidents. Yeah, and so you went through. You know, remember Ronald Reagan, which now seems so tame. But remember his daughter spoke out against some of his policies, which at the time was, was like, like what? holy Toledo. And then she and then thank she, goodness TikTok didn't she exist was back then in Playboy. And again, I mean, these are weirdly tame now. But the one I had forgotten that I was like, wow is Billy Carter, when President Carter was in office, took $200,000 from Libya. What? Like, 
Yeah, and apparently like in cash. And he goes out to later say it was a loan, which is like, yeah, but from Libya, not. And so to President Carter's credit, and I'm paraphrasing because President Carter's genteel, but he essentially stands up and is like, I got nothing here. My brother is a loser and I have no control and he shouldn't have done it. But and I'm so sorry. people respect that See, as I opposed like that to honesty. covering it. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I, I had forgotten good old Billy Carter took $200,000 from Libya. And I do think that you have to leave people's children or their spouses alone because they didn't choose to run for these offices. But when we get into the last few years of politics where adult children are involved, then I'm like, they're adults. They probably should have Plus, to be President held to account. Biden's been in politics longer than this I've been alive. Like, I'm 31 years old, and the dude's been around forever. His kids grew up in this environment. Yeah. And, and it is a privileged world, right? You're introduced, and yeah. you're networking with people. You probably wouldn't interact with at a state's dinner otherwise, right? But I do think on this, it is just another chink in the army of armor of where people feel like this is not fair, you know, regardless yeah. of your party affiliation. And, and there are a couple IRS whistleblowers who have come forward who said we did recommend felony charges. And so I think that's where when you have that information out there, it does feel like a slap on the but wrist. But it does speak to the dynasty issue that we have in America where these generations of power families, and you even see this with both parties' nominations where you're like, I'm pretty sure that was the same list from so-and-so ago. And we do need to ask ourselves what I love, love, love about local politics. I used to be a huge fan of um, term limits. But if you look at the Utah State Legislature, it turns over about every three years. Not completely, not totally, but, like, we have a good Fresh bit blood. of turnaround. So, like, you don't yeah. need to regulate that. And But you... You do have to regulate, and and there's a now there's this whole logic stream where if someone gets in the Senate, you're you're not even meaningful until you know I don't know until you're like seventy five. So we've got to figure out how to freshen up, which is part of I think our own complaint about we see the new list of people and we're like oh my gosh haven't we been talking about these same people forever and ever? But I think Biden and Bush and the Clintons, and I'm not speaking to the fact that they're not high-quality people, maybe, but too long is too long for even high-quality people. Robert that's, Kennedy would tell you that the Kennedy name is not doing him any good right now. That's so, for sure. Yes. And that's why I'm changing. excited about a lot of the names who are jumping in to run for president who are Republicans. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott. We have some great people running who are fresh mm-hmm. ideas, and we don't need to turn back as a party. We need to be moving forward, and so... I really am looking forward to this race moving forward. Um, and it is amazing the rate at which we reelect incumbents. It's above 90%. Yeah. And so we have to take a hard look. Yeah. And speaking of that, we are out of time, but I forget what it's called the Faith Something Summit that's going on this weekend with the presidential candidates. I actually heard a few um, speeches coming out of there from Chris Christie, uh, from the former Vice President Pence, and a few others. And I was like, oh, these actually sound sort of uplifting mm-hmm. to hear. So it was kind of nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, former President Trump's tomorrow. We'll see if it sticks on with that. But it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting time to be alive. So thank you for weighing in on Ladies Week here. Um, yeah. So Mara. Yeah, very Thanks good. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back next week to see exactly what the heck happens at um, in Delta, Utah this weekend. Only fun things. Thanks for joining us.